let's talk about the Bud Light controversy and the strategy behind it. Bud Light chose Dylan Mulvaney, a trans influencer, to be its new spokesperson. And Dylan is killing it. Tons of brands are using her, gotta get that right, to advertise their products. Dylan is even the spokesperson for Nike sports bras. Personally, I couldn't be more thrilled for Dylan's success. Finally, I'm one step closer to realizing my own dream of becoming the spokeswoman for Tampax. Dylan, you go, girl. Seriously, uh, three parts to uh, what I'm going to show you. First, a clip of the campaign, then the new VP of marketing at Bud Light explaining why she chose this direction. And third, I'm going to break down what's really happening and what Bud Light should be doing. Before I show you this clip, close your eyes and imagine a Bud Light drinker. Who are they? How old are they? What are they wearing? Where are they located? What do they look like? Just hold that image. Hold it tightly. Now indulge in Dylan Mulvaney. For the audio version, I'll describe what's happening. Dylan is uh, in a bra, I guess, and in a tub that has a lot of foam in it and a giant rack of Bud Light behind her. Opens a Bud Light and then starts dancing inside the tub and blowing foam bubbles. I hope that you're not doing anything weird as I describe it. Now, here's a clip of Alyssa Heinerscheid, the new VP of marketing at Bud Light, explaining why she chose this direction. Well, I'm a businesswoman. I had a really clear job to do when yeah. I took over Bud Light. And it was, this brand is in decline. It's been in decline for a really long time. And if we do not attract young drinkers to come and drink this brand, there will be no future for Bud Light. So I had this super clear mandate. It's like, we mm -hmm. need to evolve and elevate this incredibly iconic brand. And my, what I brought to that was a belief in, okay, what, is, what, do, what does evolve and elevate mean? It means inclusivity. It means shifting the tone. It means having a campaign that's truly inclusive and feels lighter and brighter and different and appeals to women and to men. Mm -hmm. And representation is at sort of the heart of evolution. You've got to see people who reflect you in the work. And we had this hangover. I mean, Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor. And it was really important <laughs> that we had another approach. Now, Alyssa makes some valid points. Bud Light, even though it's the top selling beer brand, I think it's well over $2 billion. Sales now are lower than they were in 2019. So the company feels like they have to do something. What that something is, is obviously subject to debate. I, I don't have access to the data that she has access to, but I would imagine it's a lot of wives and girlfriends of football bros and maybe a few football bros who are trying to not bust out of their belt at the tailgate party. Even though that population is stagnating, there's more competition for that segment. You've got hard seltzers, which took off. Uh, you also have non-alcoholic drinks. A lot of people in this new generation aren't drinking. There's been a big shift in this next generation. 
Before, people used to drown their sorrows in alcohol at the bar with their friends or with no friends, still drowning their sorrows with the bartender. Now, you're just as likely to drown them at home in ice cream delivered through Uber Eats and watch Netflix. You can sit home and cry alone on BetterHelp. Maybe BetterHelp is the new Budweiser. And the next generation is trying. They're trying to be nicer. They're trying to be woke. They're trying to be inclusive and diverse. So those are all good things, unless you get their pronouns wrong and then they'll get you fired. So you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have. The other problem with Bud Light is the product. It tastes like piss. Probably for most of my 20s, I hated beer because my only exposure to beer was Bud, Bud Light, Coors, maybe, I don't know, Molson, whatever was popular back then. And I could not stand the taste of it. It was disgusting. And then I visited a friend of mine in Belgium. He took me to all of these amazing places. I had uh, Chimay, Duvel, Lefe, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this can have taste that I might enjoy, change the game for me. So I'm never going to be a Bud Light customer. There's no ad on earth. And they probably don't want me either. But there's an entire population that knows Bud Light. They know exactly what it tastes like, and they don't want it. There's no big secret when you're this big. Unless the product massively changes, you're not really going to get this new discovery. Oh my God, this tastes sensation. I have never felt it in my life. It's very hard. And perceptions of brands this big and this ubiquitous get ingrained in not only their DNA, but in the cultural DNA. People start to associate them with a certain type. Just like the gap, I still associate with khakis for work. And ones that weren't even that comfortable. And that's why Gap has gone through all these cycles, closing a bunch of stores, reopening them, because it, it's hard to shake that perception. That next generation isn't interested in what they're selling. Same thing with Aeropostale. I'm not even sure I'm saying it right, but they were in every single mall. I don't think that next generation wants to be reminded of the logo on the t-shirt their mom was wearing when she was on Girls Gone Wild in the 90s. So this is not a great legacy that a lot of people would like to forget. They're embarrassed by it. Uh, same thing with Victoria's Secret. I did a whole episode on that. Look it up on the McFuture podcast. I would make the argument they were never even right for the time. Anyway, I explained it in the episode. But but again, times have changed. Same thing with Swanson TV dinners. No one's sitting around looking to eat mediocre food that's all different temperatures on the same plate. A Salisbury steak they concocted in a laboratory. And then some ice cold side and lava hot dessert that doesn't even taste like anything. You're not even watching TV that way. Kids are watching TV on their phone, or if they are, their hands are busy. Maybe Swanson needs to create a TV tube so you can still hold your phone while the TV is on, and then you can squeeze the entire thing into your mouth, the whole dinner. Times move on. And very soon, there will be a generation that's embarrassed by Lululemon. At some point, someone's mom was in there, and they're not going to think it's cool. Same thing with Spanx, same thing with any number of brands that will go out of fashion. It is inevitable. And at some point, like Bud Light, you get so big and so ubiquitous and your DNA is so ingrained in ours that 
it no longer belongs to the company. It is now a public good of sorts. And this happens a lot with music. When the Rolling Stones go out to perform Satisfaction, they have to nail it just like it sounds on the album. Why? Because those songs have memories associated with them. And every single person in that audience associates Satisfaction with their first with their first date, with their first dance, with some other thing that happened in their life and they want to hear that song as performed. And this is why people were so pissed at Sting after the police broke up. He would charge a ton of money for tickets and butcher the songs. Now, in his mind, he's reinterpreting. And there is a certain segment of the audience that is okay with that and into the artistry of reinterpretation. But at the end of the day, they wanted to hear Roxanne and sing along. That song no longer belongs to Sting. And yes, he can uh, butcher it if he wants, but at some point people feel slighted. They feel hurt. I don't know that they feel as emotional about the beer that got them into DWI, but still. This also happens with superheroes. Those characters have a certain backstory. They have a certain history. You've grown up with them. So when you see all these companies just nominally switching up all the genders and colors and races, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But there's a certain expectation that resides with the consumer with the market. So if you violate it without having a great artistic reason to do it, people can tell and they reject it. Like uh, the Ghostbusters movie was rejected because they just bolted on female characters. They were trying to do some cynical girl power thing, but not focusing on how is it core to the story. Artistic integrity and wokeness are not mutually exclusive. They can overlap, but it has to feel authentic. It has to feel genuine. And when it's bolted on, people can tell. And not only can they tell, you're violating their feelings for a property they've grown up with and associated with certain things. If Peter Parker's no longer the high school kid who got bitten by a radioactive spider and then his uncle got killed, like if you change that up, you better have a great reason for doing it because otherwise you've created another character. But if you try to infringe on existing ones, you better be good. You better be damn good with what you deliver. This Bud Light campaign feels like it's the Hannibal Lecter of business strategies, where they literally took a woke face, like a, like a hipster from Brooklyn who pickles melons in his apartment, who himself was wearing a mask of someone who didn't grow up rich and who doesn't earn a six-figure income. So it's like a mask on top of a mask stapled to the same exact product. Nothing changed. It's still Hannibal Lecter back there. Everyone can see it because you've done nothing different to the product, but now you're passing it off as something else. Like all of your values suddenly changed in one campaign. It just feels so desperate and disingenuous and pathetic that it's an insult to even the woke audience you're trying to pursue. They're not stupid. They can see that you're the same exact company that was doing hot girls on beach campaigns five minutes ago, and now you're you're this new uh, radical thinker in the gender politics of America. It's just nonsense. And also, 
if they're not drinkers already, how cynical or naive is it to think that this campaign is going to bring all these people into drinking when they're not drinkers? It's like me thinking, hey, I'm such a wonderful, amazing talent that I will be your first podcast. You weren't into podcasts before, but the McFuture is the one that's going to get you. That would be naive and stupid of me to try to convert you into an entire genre, an entire medium that behaviorally you don't uh, already adopt. Chances are all the audience I convert are going to be people who also like podcasts because they're much easier to convert. So you have to be converting people who are already drinkers, not people who are dainty about it or disinterested in drinking and it's not part of their DNA. Now, the typical strategy for a brand that's starting to taper off and maybe decline is you milk it. It is super profitable. It is still, by any measure, super successful. It's still the number one brand. You take those profits and you reinvest them in the next thing. You invest in new startups who maybe have a finger on the pulse of that next generation. You do R&D to find the next thing. Maybe invest it in internal growth in products that are already showing potential. So you start looking for future stars. You don't try to resuscitate a product by alienating the people who brought you to number one in the market. But if you are going to try to grow a cash cow, you can't do it with a marketing campaign. That's never going to happen. Everyone out there already knows what you are and what you taste like and what <laughs> that sounded weirder than it should have. But now you've got to look at completely new parameters. You might have to look at subscriptions or delivery services or new partnerships with Uber Eats or restaurants. You might have to maybe partner with a bunch of different influencers and create a white label brand where they put their names on the, on the product and you just do the fulfillment and delivery. Or you might do a partnership with like SodaStream or create your own machine where you distribute the hops or the dry version of the beer and then they brew it at home. And I'm not saying these are all great ideas, but I'm trying to give you an idea of where you have to fish when your waters are completely dry. And they're sitting on a super valuable brand that has a gigantic distribution footprint. Everyone knows what it is. That brand can go on so many other compatible products that your existing customers would want to buy. You could become a super effective curator of goods and push them through your channel, through all these retailers and all the supermarkets and all the stadiums that stock your product. The other part of it is licensing. You don't even have to make all these things. You can just license the brand and make a fortune. Kathy Ireland, a model from the 80s, makes over 300 million, not personally, her, that's total sales, over 300 million in sales, just licensing her name on all kinds of home goods. You don't think Bud Light can do that? You don't think Bud Light can add a sweet $350 million in licensing? Easily. There are whole brands that have done this. Harley Davidson was struggling for decades. No one was riding their, those bikes, but they all wanted to look tough like they would ride the bike if it wasn't so expensive, if they lived in a neighborhood where the neighbors weren't so nosy. No one wants to risk their life on a Harley, but they sure want to look like they're risking their life and they're tough. So clothing was holding up and propping up that business. Belt buckles, like all this cool stuff. The gear is what allowed the brand to eventually become cool again. So 
it is possible. It just needs to be rethought and reimagined in this new world. Other companies literally turned their garbage into entire businesses, huge enterprises, Oreos, Oreos, uh, swept up all the disgusting crumbs off the, their factory floor and turned it into Oreo pieces that are now, I, I'm, they didn't literally sweep it off the floor, although <laughs> it's possible, but all the discarded garbage that they would normally throw out now is in ice creams, it's in cakes, it's in all kinds of confectionery goods because they we're creative with it. They're like, hey, let's take our junk and turn it into something. Uh, Snyder's Pretzels did the same thing. They took all their junk off their factory floor and called it pretzel pieces, dusted some seasoning on it, and now they charge more for it than they do their whole pretzels that haven't broken yet. And Bud Light can do the same thing. I've seen some recipes out there for beer can chicken and maybe it's used in marinades, but that's where you have to get creative. You have to get into the test kitchens and try to figure this out and fund R&D to make it happen. And then you can open up this entire category of food influencers and online chefs. You can create a whole new market, but someone's got to do the work and there's no guarantee that it's going to work out. But that's what happens when you're that big. The other problem is the product. The product needs to be changed if you're going to invite a whole bunch of new people in. There's very few people who haven't at some point tasted a Bud Light. They were in some dive bars or they were partying with friends who ordered a pitcher. Whatever it is, they've tasted it. They know what it's like. So... If they're not coming back, there's no campaign that'll get them to do that. So now you have to decide, well, am I going to fundamentally change the product or create iterations of Bud Light that now cater to someone like me who's looking for Belgian beers uh, or not even, I'm not even that big a drinker. Like if Bud Light is hoping that I'm going to be the one to carry their brand or people like me, they're screwed. Shut things down now. But I just don't know how many people are left in the crevices for them to find. Now, I don't envy Alyssa's job for a couple of reasons. One is I've had jobs like this. It's very hard in corporate America where the jobs are defined in a matrix. So the vertical matrix is the brand, Bud Light, and then the horizontal is your functional role marketing. So that's the box you have to play in. If you want to try some of these other things that I mentioned, not specifically those, but things of that ilk, you're going to need to pull in people from tech, people from distribution, people from manufacturing, people from R&D. You really have to do a soup to nuts innovation and uh, actually make soup out of it and throw some nuts in there. That might actually be a good use for Bud Light. But she can do it and it is a much harder path because now you're relying on a whole bunch of other people that don't report to you. So it is a challenge, but I'm not going to let her off the hook because fundamentally, I think her idea is bad. The woke audience, they're not big drinkers. They're not even having sex. I talked about that in another episode, unless there's some massive contract to scroll through for consent. Maybe that's who they should partner with, uh, Adobe Acrobat with eSign, and then they could do all the contractual uh, safety measures uh, about drinking and beer. This audience does not scream fun. They're not the same as that last generation. Obviously, senior executives at Anheuser-Busch have to sign off on this. But I do admire Alyssa's gamble. The gamble is very simple. She's betting that the people that are offended are smaller than the new people that show up. I suspect more people would be offended 
than they had calculated. And very few people show up. I don't think they're going to be the party woohoo drinkers you need to chug a lot of Bud Light. There is also a very small chance that this was a genius move. The fact that all of us are talking about it now goes to show how a really dirt cheap campaign can go so viral and get everyone talking about the brand in a way that they wouldn't have even bothered with almost any other kind of ad. Listen, all publicity is good publicity. People have gotten elected president on that premise. And some, I assume, are good people. So this could be a genius move that we're not even recognizing. I suspect it likely isn't unless they do it just for shock value and then they apologize or they start going back to business as usual. And it's clear from the clip, Alyssa is a really smart person, super educated, has all the right experience. But what I detected, and I don't know if you detected the same thing, is probably the most concerning thing of all, which is I don't think she loves her customers. Somewhere in there, there's a disdain for the people who buy billions of dollars of Bud Light. Bud Light had been kind of a brand of fratty, kind of out of touch humor. And it was really important (laughs) that we had another approach. You have to love your customers and you have to find a way to love your customers because if you don't, it will show and you will fail. No one succeeds by having disdain for the people they serve. No one. If you find yourself in a position where you don't love your customers, leave, do something else because it will fail and it will fail miserably. And you have to respect the people who got you to the dance, who got you to a point where you're the number one brand. And if there's any disrespect, they will know it. Both sides will know it. The new people that you're trying to court and the previous people who are actually holding your product. So inadvertently, as smart as Alyssa may be, she might be the accidental grim reaper of Bud Light, unless they change course. Check out the McFuture podcast, subscribe to the newsletter, go to stevefactor.com. See you next time.